Good morning. Thanks for coming back again. So I take it that you got something last night that encouraged you to come back again this morning. Yeah. Today I, I thought I would just start by laying some foundation regarding African religion and just showing to you how African religion looks like especially in comparison to how Christianity looks like. Um, we have to have clarity of the difference that exists between our faith and this type of faith, because it's very different from our faith. But people who follow African religion think that they are the same. People will always tell us that all religions lead to God, that everything is the same, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter which religion you're part of. After all, we're worshipping the same God. That's the main argument. I was in a conference in Johannesburg um, a couple of years ago, hosted by CRL. CRL is Culture, Religious, and Linguistic Communities, one of the Chapter 9 um, institutions of government, like the Human Rights Commission. So they're the ones who are given the right to, to legislate in issues of culture and religion. And so, so we're in this conference, they have this conference once a year. And so they bring people to come and discuss issues of religion and such things. And so we're there. And during the conference, there were 500 delegates from all over the country. So they had not spent their budget for, and so therefore when departments don't spend budgets, it gets to be brought back to government. So because they had not spent theirs, they didn't want to have their budgets returned back to Treasury, they had to do this conference. So they flew us all over the country to come and do this conference, and they picked us up. I was picked up at Johannesburg, chauffeur-driven Mercedes-Benz. I'm not a speaker. So they picked me up at a chauffeur-driven Mercedes-Benz, sitting at the back, being driven to Bruma Lakes in Johannesburg, sitting in a, staying in a hotel, found my wife my hotel at a bedroom, a bathroom, and lounge, and the kitchen. So in my bed, you could sleep maybe three people because there were six uh, pillows, and, you know, one, two, three. <laughs> so I was large. So I was living large, you know, <laughs> using your money, of course. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're in this conference, and, and so when we open in prayer, so when they say let's open in prayer, it basically means seven different religions praying. That's what it means. So it's seven different religions praying, because that's the country we're living in. There are seven major religions in this country. So when you talk about democratization of religions, you're talking about seven different religions being given space to express themselves. That is, Rastafarians have to pray, Hindus have to pray, Jews have to pray, African religion people have to pray, the Muslims have to pray, Christians have to pray. Just a second. For the seventh one. But that's basically So you are going through watching seven prayers going through. And that's basically the state of how things are done in our nation. And so we have been in this conference. So when we are coming back, in fact, when we are traveling from one hotel, they're changing hotels. I don't know why they book us in one hotel, but they've changed hotels. So we, we're, we're climbing on an Avis luxury coach bus to move from one hotel to the next hotel. There's only 18 of us from the Eastern came. As a matter of fact, we first did the bus took time to arrive. It was a bit of a delay. And so we got a kumbi, quantum. 
So we're inside the, the, the kumbi, and, and I'm sitting in the middle of seats. I don't have a place to sit, but there's no problem. Then the bus shows up as the, as the kumbi is driving off. And so they ask us who are sitting uncomfortably, are we fine? I said, we are fine. Let's continue the journey. It's 15 minutes after all. And many people in the kumbi said, no, 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 no. Let us climb into the bus. So I said, the government will pay for both. They said, it's not our problem. Let them pay for both. And so we ended up jumping into the bus yeah, because others did not matter. Who's paying as long as we have sitting in the luxury coach. So 18 people, luxury coach, driving. And so in the bus, there were 20 people, sorry, there were 20, sorry, 20 of us. 18 were witch doctors from the Eastern Cape. Um, people were asking. So they began to confer in the bus as we're still going to the conference. So they're conferring with one another how they're going to spread themselves throughout the conference and be able to influence the resolution of the conference. So the bottom line is this, and they're talking openly in our presence. They don't care about us. They're saying in the bus that, let us make sure we fill up every breakaway session, and when the conference breaks into different breakaways, let's make sure we spread ourselves equally, and let's bring the same thing in every breakaway so that it becomes an overwhelming idea that comes into the plenary and resolution. And the idea was that Christianity is the problem in South Africa because it is the one that has destroyed indigenous knowledge. It is the one that has rough, run roughshed over indigenous systems of beliefs of African religion and others. So they were talking about having a TRC of, of, of religion where Christians must come and account for their past sins and indigenous belief system that they've, they've, they've removed. So it became a resolution in the conference. So we're sitting, the conference is large, 500 people in the hotel, in the conference. There's 11 people translating for us at the back. We're like sitting in parliament. We've got, we've got earphones and we've got speak, uh, microphones to speak, 11 translation booths. Anybody can speak their language and they can translate for us. We're living a good life. <laughs> so, and then we are we're in this situation. And so they had this, so they raised this thing as a conclusion, as a resolution of the conference. And I raised a point of order there. Point of order. <laughs> I said, no ways. I said, no ways. First of all, I said to them, Let's not, let us not apply selective interpretation of history. If Christianity has to account for its misdemeanors and its sins, then we, let's not be selective. Well, the same Christianity brought education, brought health, brought courage. So let's not only look at so-called bad stuff about Christianity and not adhere or acknowledge the good stuff. Many of the institutions of education and health were built by the same Christianity that you now have problems with. So do not apply selective interpretation of history. And secondly, if we have to do a TRC, a proper TRC means every religion must count. A TRC is not one religion accounting, but it's all people account. That's how the TRC was set up. I said, therefore, African religion, African culture has to come and account for its patriarchal and, and its oppression over women. Islam has to account as to why we eat halal food while we're not Muslims. That's a TRC. <laughs> so I don't think that thing went further than this, the, the hot air that was part of that conference. Then the next conference, five years later, again, I got invited. And there's this tendency with African religion followers. 
A very few, I mentioned last night, they're 0.5%. They're not a big number in the country, but they make big noise. So in this conference, they began to raise an issue that Christianity in this country is receiving favoritism, and we are not receiving support. You, Christians are everywhere preaching, they're on TV, they're, said they're everywhere, I mean, every space, churches, everywhere. I said, no ways, you're not getting it right. We as Christians are trying and doing our best to publicize our religion. We are the ones who pay airtime on TV to preach the gospel, to convert people. You are the one keeping your religion secret. You want people to come in first, become followers of your religion. So it's not our fault. If people support Kaiser Chiefs, it's not the Kaiser Chiefs' fault. You can't blame Kaiser Chiefs for, for its marketing strategies. If you don't market your religion, it is your problem. We are everywhere trying to convert anybody to become a part of our religion. That's what we're doing. We are on trains, we are on buses, we are on TV. Nobody's giving us money. Government, we pay for that because we're spreading our religion. Yours is secret. So your marketing strategy is not working. Maybe you must go and evangelize. Maybe you get support. Because they were complaining in that conference that one of the main issues that they're raising is that they're saying that they're not getting access to mountains and rivers and farming areas to pray and do their mambo-jambo stuff and all that. These farmers don't want us to go and access certain grave sites, certain sacred spaces to pray. So no, no, no. You want access to a farm, you buy the farm. I'm not... Ain't nobody, ain't nobody allowing you to his farm to come and do your magic or your huge craft and certain things. I'm saying, no ways. If I was owning a farm, I'm not giving you some farm to, there's a river or there's a mountain you think it's a sacred space. I'm not allowing you to go and do your witchcraft in my farm. You buy the farm, then you go and do your, your, your ceremonies. Nobody's going to do you any favors. We as Christians, no government has ever given us farms. If we have a prayer mountain somewhere, a camping site that we have somewhere in a rural area, it's because we bought it. At least in this case, in this generation, maybe in the past it would have been different because of racial issues. But today, if we build something, we have collected money from people and bought it and built chalets and built camping sites, not because government gave us anything. So nobody should be giving any privilege. But because they are so attached to the ruling powers that be, they then want to get this access. One of the key leaders in the country is Dr. Matole Motsecha. One of the key leaders. He's a husband to Angie Motsecha, the Minister of Education. He's a key leader in African religious belief systems. So, now, he was the chief whip of the ANC, former premier of, of Gauteng, chief whip of the ANC, very influential, a doctor of law, very clever guy. When he walks into the conference to speak, and as he walks in, you can feel the vibe. You can feel the vibe. People are, like, people are happy. It's like, Here's our intellectual hero to explain and articulate our views clearly. So when he walks in, people are feeling, affirm, are feeling affirmed because here is a respected individual who's going to put the point across plainly for our sake as African belief or followers. So he comes in and goes on. I read a book that he wrote. I bought his book. He says that he believes in the... He's, he's confused, completely confused. He believes in the Trinity. He believes in the Trinity. But I believe all gods of all religions are part of the Trinity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the point. It's still, it's, still, it's still a Trinity, but all gods. I mean, this statement is in this book. I've, I've put it in my book on, on, on African, African uh, Consulting the Dead Ancestors. 
all gods of all religions are part of the Trinity. I don't know how it becomes Trinitarian if it has millions of gods. You know? So that's his belief. And it's philosophical. Okay? It's like that. So that's, that's him. So we have that element within um, the, the government, the government uh, people. So now I want to explain to you a little bit what African religion is. Because I think the problem we have is Christians don't know what African religion is. And they end up following its elements and practices, thinking it's part of culture. Okay? So the first thing I want to do is just draw a picture for you that I want to keep it in your mind. African religion is like a pyramid. It's like a pyramid. In this pyramid is God, ancestors, mediums, witch doctors, and then people. Now, African religion is like this. African religion believes in God. So in a sense, we could say it's monotheistic like Christianity is. That the definition of who this God is leaves it much to be desired. But it believes in God. So, but it believes in an absentee God. It believes in God, but who's transcendent, who's inaccessible. It believes that no ordinary person can access this God. So therefore, African religion has, has a hierarchy. The hierarchy is that God is somewhere out there in an unknown world, inaccessible to mere men. Therefore, the dead are helping us to, to access God. So that's what African religion is. It has a God who is inaccessible, who is transcendent, who is absent, who has no desire to communicate to his people, but who must be somehow coached out of his hiding to talk to his people. That's African religion. So the dead, therefore, in the concept of African religion, are supposed to be mediating between us and God. Now, the assumption there is that the dead are in heaven. Huge assumption. So the assumption is because they cannot mediate between us and God unless they are with God. So the assumption is that everybody who dies goes to heaven. Now, let me just, just take a t- step back. The concepts heaven and hell are Christian concepts. So when they are used by a Christian who consults the dead, that Christian is the one who practices synchronism, the mixture of two religions. African religion doesn't have a concept of heaven or hell because I said last night, it doesn't believe in judgment. They believe the actions on earth are inconsequential. So there's no concept of judgment in African religion. So the concept of heaven or hell are Christian concepts borrowed from Christianity and infused into African belief systems. Okay? So now a priest, many of them in the mainline, so-called mainline nominal churches, who believe in ancestral veneration and with Christianity, they will stand during funerals and they will talk about everybody who's died, who have gone to Abraham's bosom or paradise or heaven. They will not mention hell. It is not fashionable today to even mention hell in church. It's like Jesus should, you know, did not make... So when we talk about you know, hell, a brimstone preacher, don't talk about hell. Hell is non-existent. It's an idea that somebody manufactured, some intolerant person. Some person who's angry just came up with the idea of hell. Otherwise, God who's loving cannot create hell. Everybody is going to heaven after all. That's the idea that we get in the world. Okay. And so, therefore, priests, and I've debated these priests, I've talked to them, I've debated them, 
They believe in ancestors. They believe in Jesus. I debated one in a, in a radio station in the Eastern Cape, a radio station of 250,000 um, listeners. So he came in the evenings on Sunday wearing his full Cossack, full priestly regalia. Myself, I was wearing my jeans, and the African Legion scholar was wearing his jeans, and this priest came with his full regalia. So, so I was sitting in between these two elderly men. Now, these two elderly Cossack men, I told you last night, in my culture, older person is right, younger person is wrong. <laughs> Just bottom line. So I'm, in, I'm sandwiched between these two men. The African religion scholar on the side, the priest from, from the mainline church this side who believes in mixture. So we're debating this thing. So the presenter asks questions. So we ask, the priest never quoted one verse to answer the 12 questions we have to debate. Everything he said is how I was raised. It's how I was raised. He didn't use one verse. He just defend himself by, but my grandmother raised this way. This is how I was raised. But we're not talking about that or how we are raised. We're talking about our belief system. So he had no clear, articulate, and intelligent answer for what he believes in, except to say, this is how I was raised. The African religion scholar knew what he was talking about. He's not a problem. And it's not even a threat to us, because his belief system has few followers. The problem is this guy. And the deception he's giving people is leading. This is another problem. This is the problem this side. Okay. And so, therefore, in African religion, people believe in ancestors. Now, let me say to you a parable in Luke chapter 16. You can just write it down because you know it already. So I won't read the scripture. But here's a parable. Jesus makes a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, his name is not mentioned. Because his identity is not important, but his lifestyle is. doesn't mention his name, but he's rich. He feeds sumptuously. He doesn't care about Lazarus, who's hungry, who's feeding from the crumbs falling from the rich man's table. He's dressed in white, in, 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 in purple. He's dressed beautifully. And then he dies. And then Lazarus dies as well. After the dogs have been licking his wounds, eventually he dies which shows that death is a common allotment between the rich and the poor. Death doesn't discriminate. So they both die, but that's the only thing common amongst them is death. After that, everything else is different. The rich man goes to hell, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. And the Bible tells us that in the hell, the rich man cries out, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus to come and bring a tip of, of water to my tongue because I am burning here. So he cries out. And, and we know what happens. The rich man cried out and Lazarus says, and Abraham says, no, 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 you are being tormented. He's being comforted. He was being tormented there and you were comforted. So things have changed. And he says, please send him, at least send him to my five brothers to warn them. He says, no, if they don't listen to the prophets there, they won't listen to somebody coming from the dead. Okay? Then the interesting thing about it is this. In this, parable, in this parable, the person who complains of being thirsty, of being uncomfortable, complains from where? From hell. Right? Lazarus in heaven is not saying anything like complaining. Right? Lazarus is in heaven, sorry, he's not complaining. He's in Abraham's bosom, then paradise, but now in, it's heaven. 
he doesn't complain of any discomfort. The rich man in hell, he complains of discomfort. So, today, there's ancestors who talk to their people that they are hungry, that they are thirsty, that they are cold. So they complain of discomfort. So guess where are they complaining from? Exactly. 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 So, so people have been listening from voices, have been listening to voices speaking from hell, not voices speaking from heaven. Heaven cannot be uncomfortable simply because God made heaven. If God can make a heaven that is uncomfortable, how do we trust him to make comfortable life on earth? If he messes up heaven, his own dwelling place, how do we even trust him to do a good job with us on earth? So the issue of an uncomfortable heaven has huge theoretical implications for us who follow Christ. If they can be in God's presence and be thirsty when the water of life is there, who said to the woman of the world, if you drink of this water, you shall never thirst again. If people can be uncomfortable and thirsty and hungry in the presence of Christ, the bread of life, the same people whom John says in John 12, in Revelation 12, I saw them dressed in white linen, and now they are cold, but, but John says they are dressed, then there's something that is conflicting here. But people who believe in these things, they swear by these things. Okay? So the issue is this. People are, are practicing syncretism, the, the mixture of two religions that are not compatible, incompatible religious systems. They cannot mix. Okay? So African religion, and of course in the hierarchy, so people in African religion do not talk to God directly. They talk to Sangomas, who talk to ancestors, who talk to God. And then so on it cuts back. So the answer comes back from God to ancestors, to witch doctors, and eventually to people. By the time it gets to people, lots of money has been spent, a lot of trouble has happened, a lot of stuff has happened. That's African religion. It's a works-based system. All religions are works-based systems. Christianity is a grace-based system. It doesn't tell you what you must do to access God. It tells you what God has done to access you. That's the difference. And so they follow this, and unfortunately, Christians have been doing it and knowing that it is wrong. Because partly... In the churches that believe in ancestral veneration, you have them here in KZN, big churches. You have them here. The Nazarene Church, Shembe, and ZCC, and St. John's, and many. Those are the big ones. In fact, when they say South Africa is 79% Christian, the numbers that bulk that, that make up those huge numbers, are these mainline cultic churches. Those are the ones that make us look as if we are majority Christian. In essence, we are not 79% Christian, real Christians. That's the reality. Because those people, unfortunately, they are in the millions. They are more than us in number. The Nazarene Church alone is over 4 million. ZC is over 12 million. So we evangelicals, 
<laughs> the interesting thing about it is that the people who do it are not even sure why they do it. This is why they do it. I'll tell you why they do it. People do that to bury in Adelaide, not because a person has been buried in Adelaide. Well, it has to, because of this belief. The answer, when a person is born, his umbilical cord is buried on the ground to dedicate him to ancestors. That's the beginning of his life. Now, the belief is that he must be buried back to where he was buried, was born, sorry, to complete the cycle of life. That's the belief. Otherwise, if he's not buried where he was born, the cycle of his life is not complete. Therefore, he will not be rested in the afterlife. That's why. They have to transport bodies all over the show to bring them back there. It has nothing to do with wanting to be closer to the grave of a person. You don't need to be closer to somebody's grave. He's dead. So whether the grave is 100 meters, 100 kilometers, or 10 kilometers, it makes no difference. No one needs proximity to anyone's grave unless you plan on visiting the grave. Unless you plan to visit the grave. So people bring bodies all over the place. Bodies are being transferred. That's why these companies have Bob and others. You notice them. The target market is black people. When they advertise on TV, we will even transport the body. Ha ha! <laughs> we'll even buy grocery. You know, they don't do one race. They don't use the word race in the TV because it's not right. But you can see this is racist. This is a ra- this, this is a ra- you can see it's a racist advert. I can see this advert is racist. They won't say, black people, this is your advert. But as you can see, this advert is thinking for black people. <laughs> it's racism. You know, it's racism. So they do all these things. People ask me a question when I teach. Let me just also answer this. They talk to me about tombstones. What? Where do tombstones belong to? How do we say about tombstones? Let me explain this to black people who are here. Tombstones come from Europe. They are Western. They are not African. So, you don't do tombstones in the name of culture. It shows that culture has been changed. But originally, tombstones are Western. Africans did not mark graves with tombstones previously. It's inherited from the West. Now, more tombstones are sold to black people than to white people. Because that's all, that shows that culture has changed. But every black person wants to have a tombstone. And they call it culture. But that's not culture. That's culture that has been changed by the influence of another culture. In fact, no culture is immune from the influence of other cultures around it. Each culture is affected by other cultures. Okay? So now we have got tombstones costing 20,000 rands. You go to the grave sites. Okay, we know this in terms of old graves here in town. We know this. There's huge tombstones of 1800s and whatever. We know that. But now, in our townships also, we've got these beautiful new marble things now, turning like this and turning like that, and <laughs> elaborate stuff, and stones that have different shapes and sizes, and they you know elaborate and express, and, and then the cows come to graze. They're <laughs> walking. Cows don't care about how much you pay for the tombstone. When the thing wants to scratch itself, it scratches itself. And the tombstone collapses, boom! So everywhere in townships, there's collapsed tombstones. 
have been bought for 20,000 rands because cows and goats, when they want to scratch, they just, oh, a stone, that's good. <laughs> People are complaining. Please fence it. Government, fence the graves. We are losing our tombstones. Why do you buy them in the first place? So the tombstone business now is busy targeting black people. You see it in the CBD, mainly targeting black people. You see them in the glass, just all the tombstones. We don't need these things. We don't need these things. Just a, a cross or some stone. You know, just go to get us a, a boulder somewhere and says, how much is this? Just get a, you know, put it in a, in a baggie and just lift it and go Boom, put it there. Just take a cocky pen or some marker, permanent paint, and write, you know, John Smith, whatever, you know, just boom. You're marking the grave, right? He, he was buried here. That's all you're doing. Why must it be something costing 20,000 rands? Made of marble, shiny. That is going to fall. Okay, we'll stop there. Looking at time. <laughs> 